My name's Ursula and this is the channel where I interview people who have achieved financial independence. If you enjoy listening then please do subscribe. Today I'm speaking to Sack, who has achieved financial independence. Um, so we've known each other for a relatively short period of time. So first of all, just tell me a bit about yourself. What did you do before you achieved financial independence? Right. Well, I I started working. I was working in television. I started working as an editor. Uh, I was staff editor for a while, so I was in a permanent position. And then after a few years, I went freelance because I realized I could make more money for the same hours being freelance. Um, and that was great for a while. And I loved that job. But after a while, I realized that I was working an hour to get paid an hour. And I thought that was a very inefficient way of making money. I thought I wanted to work an hour and get paid again and again for the same work, essentially. Uh, so I started thinking of what I could do and I had always been interested in music. Uh, so I thought about the idea of making music for TV and I didn't have the skills to do that. I didn't have the craft yet. So I spent my free time learning how to make music in lots of different genres and how to record it. And then after about five years of doing that on the side, uh, I... I started pitching for music work in TV and it was very difficult to get into that because people saw me as an editor and they wanted me to carry on as an editor but I really wanted to break out of that pattern. I also wanted to do something new so um, I kept at it and eventually I managed to get in and that was great because the beauty of, um, of music is that you make music for a TV show and once it's on there you get paid royalties every time that show goes on air. So things repeat to death um, some shows uh, and you get a small amount of money every time that happens and so that's creating a long-term passive income stream and I think that's crucial to becoming financially independent if you can to create something that means that you're not working an hour for every and getting paid for every hour that you work and only for that hour yeah no I mean passive income is um, I agree it's definitely a, a huge component to FI but so I'm really interested in you said it, it kind of took about five years for you to sort of build up your expertise yeah. in terms of music. How did yeah. you sort of, I suppose this is the kind of the struggle that a lot of people have, mm. that they're kind of working a job maybe sort of nine to five or often yeah. longer than that. How did you sort of manage to fit in sort of the, the learning about music? Yeah. Well, it was it was kind of an hour a day. So I'd come home from work and instead of sitting and watching a load of TV, I'd, I'd go and sit in my, my studio and and craft for about an hour a day. And if I missed a day and I was out, I'd, I'd make up for it on other days or on the weekends. So I worked out actually recently that I did about eight hours a week for 50 weeks. That's about 400 hours. Over five years, that's 2,000 hours. Now, 2,000 hours of eight-hour days five days a week is the equivalent of 50 weeks. So by putting in one hour a day for five years, it was as if I'd been given a year. 
and I was amazed at how how that worked out in time terms. I, when I was doing it, I wasn't thinking in that way. I was thinking, well, you know, I'm just doing a bit every day. But having that consistent work whenever I could do it was was the way to do it, I think. Um, yeah, I had to make a compromise and give up a little bit of watching telly, but it's just watching telly. Um, and that was that was how I found the time. Wow, so just being really disciplined in terms of kind of allocating your time in that hour a day and just really yeah. keeping to it. Yeah, and, and, and it helps that I, I, I found it fun. So it helps if you're doing something, if you pick on something, pick something that you enjoy doing, either you're passionate about or that you could be passionate about or have an interest in, and that'll help it feel like a hobby, yeah. really, while you're rather getting to a, that stage. Sure. Um, so rather than trying to do it straight away or do something immediately, um, I, I, I personally, for me, it works really well to just build that up slowly over time. So when did you first kind of become interested in, I suppose, either the, the fire movement or financial independence? Well, and what kind of sparked that interest? Well, um, I, I suppose I, I was always interested in the idea of retiring early. I don't quite remember this, but my cousin told me recently that when I was... 21 years old I'm, I'm 47 now I retired when I was 43 so nearly three decades ago I told her when I was 21 that I was going to retire when I was 40 and she laughed it off and uh, I, I missed it by three years but obviously it was in my mind that I didn't want to work all the time um, so I think what inspired my interest in in really focusing on on getting out of work as such was when I started getting bits of money in from royalties and I didn't want to give this money to the banks to look after I didn't think that was very effective so I wanted to learn about a way to make that money work for me so I looked into investing and I looked into how the best investors in the world did it people like Warren Buffett and Joel Greenblatt and really 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 experienced investors and I found out how they did it and then I became interested in investing and um, thought that maybe that could be a way to, to help me get to financial independence quicker and help maintain myself through my retirement years as well. So I, it kind of came from, I think the interest really came from a sense of laziness as well. I mean, I, I don't mind working hard, but I do, you know, we all want to have time to to enjoy ourselves you definitely don't sound lazy life, to me you know? but yeah. I, like, well yeah it's just just I think inherently within me I, I like to take make shortcuts in life um, and I also wanted to be my own boss and I am fiercely independent so the idea for me that someone can tell me where to be at a certain time of day doesn't feel like freedom to me and I want it to be free so whatever I could do to get to that point uh, was important for me and I also wanted to have complete control over my own time so that I could either be lazy or do whatever I wanted to do when I wanted to do it um, uh, and that was that was it really that sort of inspired me to to go on uh, and try and get to this point where I could stop working yeah it's interesting you say that because I think um, the desire for freedom mm -hmm. is is a massive thing I mean certainly whenever I've met people who are either financially independent or are interested in um, becoming financially independent. There's the one almost key characteristic, which 
everyone shares in my experience anyway is a sort of a, you know a fierce independence and a and a real desire for freedom um so following on from that what do you think is important in terms of the sort of mindset that you have to have in your in your experience to sort of achieve well i think FI? i think what you've said already is 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 quite important as a starting point that I think it's it's interesting, as you say, how how people come from a certain feeling of wanting to be independent, and if you have that already, that's probably your your core interest in wanting to be financially independent as well as independent in other ways, and you think that might help. Uh, but I think, in terms of a, a structured way to think about it, uh, I think there are three elements. One is to earn, so that means either earn more than either more than normal or or to the best of your ability so that the highest capacity that you can have um, and then to learn to save and to learn to invest and that's what worked for me so those three sort of elements now within that is understanding that you obviously need to live within your means so if you're not saving a lot of money, then at least you're saving, you're not putting yourself into debt. Um, that's, a, that's a primary thing. Uh, second is thinking about the opportunity cost of everything you do. So in terms of when you buy something, it's the time it takes to go out and hunt for that thing. It's the cost of that thing and what that, what that cost what that spending essentially is what is worth to you in 10 or 20 years time because if you didn't spend that money and invested it instead you could get yourself to financial independence quicker than you could if you spent money on that thing so it's a matter of understanding whether that thing will bring you so much joy and happiness that in a few years time you'll be happy to work extra because that's the trade-off it's like if I buy this pair of shoes or that nice jacket or whatever, a suit for 500 quid, am I going to be happy about the fact that in 20 years time, that will be worth 10 times the money in opportunity cost? So if you're spending 500 quid in clothes, that's five grand. Would you be happier with five grand in 20 years or would you be okay for spending that money now? And it's understanding that yeah. about yourself yeah. really, rather than... Feeling. I think most people, if they were being rational about it, they would mm. think, well, no, I'd rather have invested it and potentially, you know, have more time and freedom in the long term. But I suppose it's that short term gratification, exactly. isn't it? Yeah. Of, you know, going out and, you know, buying something that you want because you can. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's about thinking, thinking about how, how you feel yourself and understanding yourself. Now, we're, we all think we're rational, but I think we're not really we're definitely rational. not yeah so, so we we need to be aware i think of what we're what, what our true natures are and sometimes we have to fight against it sometimes we have to kind of go with it and allow ourselves a certain amount of freedom but um, but it's it's getting that balance right so there is that but i think knowing that your time is money as well is really really important um so that you you can because it's the only thing that i mean rich people know it they can't they can't they can buy whatever they want they can earn more money, but you can never get that time back. And once that time is gone, it's gone. So it's about understanding how you can best use that available limited resource to make the best of your life that you can. 
Yeah, no, I think it's that. I think that's that's really key. I think people always think that they've got more time mm. than they potentially have, and I suppose the reality is, is no one knows how much time um, we've got. But I just yeah. want to pick up on something that you mentioned. So you discussed sort of working for yourself and and sort of going freelance. Mm-hmm. How important was that in sort of in terms of enabling you to build up enough wealth to become financially independent? Well, I think it's I think it's pretty crucial really to find either to work for yourself in your main career or to find a side hustle as we call it in the gfi business that uh, find another another source of income for which you can work for yourself and control your own time so so there are several elements if you control you can control your income better if you're working for yourself if you if you work harder and you're an employee most of that accrues to your employer. So let's say even if you do some training, you might think that you're going to benefit out of it, but your employer is also going to benefit. So you're splitting that with your employer. When you work for yourself, everything that you do to better yourself in terms of working harder, getting new skills, training, the benefit is for you. And that means you're controlling, you're having full control over your income. Now you can also control your working hours better so you can choose what works for you so if you are a morning person for example you can get up at five in the morning and finish at one if you want but if you work for an employer and your employer doesn't open their doors until seven or eight in the morning you can't work to your best ability i mean i was i was working musicians hours so i would get up at 10 o'clock in the morning i'd have a full day of messing around seeing friends tidying up the house doing whatever and i start work at 4 p.m and then I'd work till midnight or one in the morning. And that was brilliant for me. That's how I like to work. But other people like to work in different ways. Now, if I, I was working for an employer, then I, I wouldn't have that option. Yeah. And I think that, that means you you get that freedom, but you also get that that ability to to be most efficient for yourself. And yeah. That independence, isn't it? Um, so on a more practical note as well, you can control your tax better. So you have the ability when you're freelance to... Uh, offset more stuff with with in terms of expenses um, and you also have the ability to work less if you want to stop yourself going into a higher tax bracket you know I knew of editors who would stop working when they found that they were earning too much and take a couple of months off in the year um, because they didn't want to pay 40% tax rather than 20% tax well that's a choice you can make if you're an employee and you're you're pushed into that higher bracket. You can't make that choice for yourself, and um, so you might decide that you want to work less in your main job if you're a freelancer, and spend that extra time on a side hustle, which might not pay you now, but isn't something that you're going to get taxed on now. And that's that having that flexibility is great, I think, as well as the ability to control your 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 overall work time. You know how much you want to work. If you if you feel burnt out and tired, you can stop. You can ease back you, you having that control over your life i think is, is something that we miss very much in our structured organized way of work yeah um, i mean i think it's it's amazing really that we give up so much of our time and yet no uh-huh. one so no one really questions it or well, people do but in a in a very much well this is the way the world works and yet yeah, yeah we are giving up people do give up so much time hmm. Um, and like you know, like you say, time is precious. We don't know how how long we've got. We 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 kind of we we 
we've got used to the idea that we give our time to other people in return for money, but we don't always quantify that in the exact right way. I mean, we're, we might have emails at home, people are working on the weekends to catch up, people are staying late. A lot of the time it's not overtime, you're kind of expected to do it because everyone else is doing it. We all get sucked into this thing, but I think it's important to think about what the other side of that is, is when you're giving up your time for someone else, you are giving that to someone else. Yeah. So it's just a bit being aware of that, I think. Um, so I'm going to ask probably a bit of a controversial question. So obviously the fire movement has become more well-known and better publicised, and it has also attracted criticism. Um, and one of some critics kind of often argue that FI is only possible for mainly single tends to be men who earn well above the average UK salary and they're therefore quite dismissive of um, FI and what it can do for, I suppose, quote-unquote, ordinary people. Mm -hmm. What's your take on that? Well, this is interesting because I I was actually in a long-term relationship for um, just over half of my working life and I was married in the end as well. Uh, So I, I, I think... Well, to address the the single or not single issue first, if you're single, a lot of your costs are higher. If you're not living with someone, your rent's higher, your mortgage is higher. If you are in a relationship, uh, you you are splitting that cost. So already, you're splitting that cost. You'll probably split your council tax, utilities, everything else. Um, you can get discounts on hotel rooms when you go on holiday you might find package deals are cheaper you can generally buy stuff in supermarkets cheaper in bulk and share that cost than you can when you're a single person buying meals for one or or getting takeouts for one it's not really very cost effective so i think that kind of idea that a single person necessarily is going to be who's going to find it easier to become financially independent kind of doesn't work when you look at the, the, the benefits associated with sharing costs um, I think the uh, the the thing about um, mainly men men being uh, with higher incomes let's well let's look at the, the gender thing first uh, if we're looking at gender then I suppose we should probably look at race I mean you know I'm I'm an uh, Asian British born but Asian background male I'm, I a lot of the times when I worked in companies I was working I was the only brown face in in a lot of media companies um, and I could have see, seen that as an excuse to, to maybe not try and get on uh, you know you can argue that I'm a short guy as well like uh, apparently <laughs> taller people taller guys do earn more than wow. shorter guys. They Did can not earn know that. 70, it was done in the US, I think. A, a guy who's 6'1 can earn $70,000 more over a year, over a lifetime, than someone who's 5'9. And I'm 5'6. So, so you know, that kind of puts me in a pretty bad position, really. Uh, there, there are lots of reasons why I think we can look at and uh, make excuses for why people can't become financially independent. I didn't have a massive income ever. I was probably earning sort of between five and ten k more than the average London salary. That's not a lot more, 
and but my side hustle when I started making music I was earning less than the average London wage but I was getting income in from royalties so it's kind of swings and roundabouts there mm. and I think it's all relative as well if you think of if you think that being financially independent means you're going to have a yacht and a Ferrari and a mansion then yeah unless you work for that level of income you're not going to achieve those things even if you don't try and become financially independent um, but if you understand that your level of income whatever it is if you can live within your means you can continue that level of income in retirement I think you need to understand how to invest that money well well a lot of people a lot of the uh, famous FI bloggers are you're right from more wealthy let's say let's say from higher income uh, they were higher income earners and what they've done is is then during their retirement years they just became frugal I think that's kind of cheating if you've got a level of income and you've got uh, a level of expenditure that supports that level of that is supported by that level of income rather you can adjust that expenditure down to a point where it's comfortable enough for you to reach financial independence and maintain that if you've done things right but if you try and achieve you can achieve it the other way you can you can maximize your income and then be really frugal uh, after you retire if you want to do that that's up to you but I don't think it's necessary to do it so I, it wasn't the case for me anyway I wasn't on a massive income and a lot of people I, we met at the FI groups were coders making big income yeah. you know they were yeah. making massive salaries and they're like well how do I do it and I think it's about if you're in that situation you're lucky enough to have a high income then it's about staying away from your um, the temptations of matching your expenditure to your income increases yeah <clears throat> just really avoiding that lifestyle inflation yeah, yeah. as your income goes up because often we we sort of look at, at things in life and we we look at the attractions around us and we're like oh we quite like to have this and quite like to have that or to go here on holiday and do that and when our income goes up we spend more immediately and that gets taken up straight away. I had, I had a friend who, uh, uh, he, he always used to say to me, he said, uh, I, I'd say to him, what, what do you do with your disposable income? And he said, well, I have disposable income, I dispose of it. <laughs> and that's pretty much the way a lot of people feel about, yeah. you know, they're, they're having more money. And that's not going to get you to, to financial independence. I know, and it's, it's, I really think it's isn't. amazing how common that sort of thinking yeah. is. I was also chatting to somebody, yeah, just... Um, just gone, got a promotion, you know, a real sort of almost 15, 20 grand increase in pay. So a really, you know, considerable amount. And um, and I sort of, yeah, I kind of said, oh, so what are you going to do with that extra money? He was like, oh, well, you know, I eat out, you know, every day now and I didn't used oh to. God, yeah. and, and in my so mind, I just thought, oh, no. Yeah. It's already allocated in some people's yeah. minds before they've got the bonus, before it's even come yeah. through or that. You know, extra income. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to remodel the kitchen. I'm going to do whatever they're going to do. It's uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's really interesting. So another kind of criticism of the FI is that some people say that becoming financially independent is selfish, um, and that if everyone retired early, there'd be no one left to work. Economic output would fall, potentially leading to a stock market crash. And they sort of have this really kind of also negative view of well, what, what are you going to do if you don't have to work? What, what yeah. do you sort of think okay. about that? I personally think that 
people getting financially independent and retiring early. I use retiring sort of in inverted commas. People doing that, I think it's it would actually be good for our economy. I think firstly, I think people would be happier. They'd be less stressed. And once they reach retirement, I think people can stop and think about what they what they really want to do. They're like, okay, well, I'm okay now. I can pay my bills. I can support my family. If you look at people who've reached financial independence, but in a real, in a massive way, people like Elon Musk, who runs Tesla and SpaceX, he made his money in eBay and then decided as an engineer with an engineering background, he wanted to start SpaceX because it was something he believed in. He wanted to start Tesla because he wanted us to have a less of an impact upon our environment and move to greener sources of energy. Uh, Bill Gates made massive amounts of money as the Microsoft CEO and he's now got a foundation, the Bill and Melinda Foundation. Is it Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? I think it is. Um, and he, and the, the aim of their foundation is to save as many lives as possible around the world. Now that's obviously on a massive scale, but it doesn't necessarily mean that when we're FI, we, we become selfish. We, we, if we have the capacity to help people, I think it's in our nature to do that. You can look at it another way. So let's take it from a left point of view. Uh, if you have people generally being wealthier, there's going to be less strain on resources. There are going to be fewer people um, who are on benefits. Uh, on the other side, you can look at um, uh, what the right would think, which is they want smaller government. So if you've got fewer people on benefits and less strain on resources, you need a smaller government. You need less money going into that pot. So it kind of you could see an argument both ways for, for people becoming financially independent or let's say becoming wealthier. We're trying to, I think the idea is to lift the, the, the wealth of everyone rather than having a few people becoming financially independent. I don't see any reason why everyone shouldn't become financially independent earlier than 65. Yeah, it is interesting that in many ways people are still relying on almost the government and the state to tell them, you know, when they can retire. Mm. Um, like, yeah, I suppose a lot of FI is about kind of challenging that and saying, actually, no, I don't want, I suppose, the government telling me when I can retire. I want to, you know, I want to do it my way and see if I can do it, retire earlier. Did you often find, do you find yourself that you, when you started working, did you feel like this was going to be something that you expected to do until you were 65, 70? Or did you always have in your mind the idea that you could maybe stop working earlier? Is it something that you thought about? I don't really think I thought about... No, I don't think I did necessarily think about retiring early. I mean, to be honest, I so I kind of graduated when um, it was sort of during the big financial crash. Mm -hmm. So to be honest... You know, you just felt fortunate to have a job, right. let alone, you know, even consider retiring early. Um, but I think what brought about perhaps a shift with me is um, just having some quite negative experiences at work, um, bullying, you know, really dreading going in every day. And you kind okay. of think, and that was quite a profound experience. And then, um, and then sort of, seeing other people being put sort of threat of redundancy and restructures and it just made me realize actually i don't really have that much control over my own life 
Mm. And I don't, I don't want to be the victim, right. you know, because you know you do start to feel a bit like you're the victim. And uh, and I thought, no, I that's I don't want to go down that path. Um, and I, it was kind of that thinking which really sort of kind of made me look into financial independence. But yeah, when I first heard about the fire movement, I actually can't think when it was, I think it was more of a slow kind of growing process. Maybe I read a few articles and then came across a few blogs mm -hmm. and it kind of slightly snowballed from there. Um, but yeah, it was probably only then that I thought, oh, wow. Okay, so, you know, people can and do live differently and don't necessarily just carry on working until they're in their mid-60s, you know, and even in their 70s. Achieving ETI can seem to probably quite a lot of people, like a, a tough mountain to climb and very much an exercise in deferring gratification. If you're being honest, are there any downsides to achieving FI? Um, and I'm thinking particularly perhaps some of the compromises you had to make to achieve it. Um, well, can I address the issue of the deferring gratification? Yeah. First? Is that all right? Yeah. yeah. No, well, I, think, I think it's actually, I, I don't, Deferring gratification, I think, is a good thing. I mean, we uh, have you seen the marshmallow test? Have you ever have you ever heard of that? I've where they vaguely where they, heard they of took it. toddlers and they put them in a room and they had a marshmallow on the table and they told them they can have the marshmallow now, or if they can wait fifteen minutes, they can have two marshmallows. And then these kids, three years, four years old, were left alone in the room with the marshmallow for fifteen minutes. And some of them really, really struggled to resist. Some of them did resist. Some of them didn't resist. Uh, the idea of the and you know, they, they would either eat it before the, the uh, test person came back or someone would actually hold out and, and manage to get to. But they, they looked at the results of this later on. They found that the kids who had delayed gratification and hadn't given in to that urge actually did better on their SAT scores, this was in America, than those who hadn't resisted. Now, we we look at our, our education system. Education, when you're when you're studying for your your GCSEs or your A levels, you're not going out and partying all the time. You're not hanging out with your mates. You're not spending all your time watching TV and playing video games. You're delaying gratification. Now, the compromises I made were short-term. So I worked harder. Um, when I was an editor starting out, I didn't wait for people to train me. I would, if I wanted to learn a new bit of kit, I just came in overnight when the edit suites were empty. I picked up a manual. I, I found downtime and I just went and learned the kit and, and other people would complain they weren't getting training and stuff. I was thinking, well, all the all the resources are there. You can go and do it yourself. You don't have to necessarily wait for other people to, to give you opportunities. You can make those opportunities. Yeah, it's going to be hard work. So I watched a lot less TV, but I don't think that's a bad thing. <laughs> I worked in TV. I love TV, but I don't watch it now at all. There were short-term compromises, but I, I think in the long term, no. Zero downside at all. I mean, I'm. It's all relative as well. If we uh, if if we think that we have to give up time to become financially independent, and if we're if we're single and we haven't got kids, then we should go and talk to people who've got kids. 
And if you go and find someone who's got a kid and say, well, I haven't got time. I, yeah, I want to do all these things that I want to do. And I don't want to give up some of my time to become financially independent, even though I'd like to. They'll look at you and go, well, you should try having a kid. And if you've got a kid, you go and talk to someone who's got three kids. And if you've got three kids, then go and talk to someone who's on a third of your income with three kids or is living in a, in a slum in India working three jobs with three kids. Everything's relative. So a while ago, you said something very interesting to me, which is that for you, FI may only be temporary. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, would you care to elaborate on that? Yeah, I know. So uh, I think unless unless you've had some kind of unicorn startup lottery win success, uh, if you want to retire early and you haven't made millions and millions, you're going to be in a situation where if you get hit with a large um, expense that comes along suddenly, you're not necessarily going to be in the same comfortable situation that you're in now. For example, I mean, I've got an elderly mum and she might need ongoing care and that can be really, really expensive. Um, So I might need to, to... fork out for that I might have a health issue myself I've actually got um, an autoimmune disease which is which isn't it's not life-threatening but it can be really debilitating if I'm not on drugs for it Um, I'm on drugs now as part of a trial which aren't available on the NHS so after the trial if I want to continue that treatment um, which is really great treatment but it's not generally available I'd probably have to fork out and that's quite a few thousand pounds so I'm aware that 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 can be an issue I I know of someone who had to take their counsel to court in order to be able to be given these same drugs by their local NHS so things can happen anything can happen to anyone at any time so I think it's it's important to be aware that it isn't like a a thing that you become financially independent and then you can sit back and rest on your laurels it's, it's important to have that sense that you might things might change because otherwise you get hit with the shock if it does but um yeah but up to now it's been okay so um that's how i feel it's not it's not like i'm being complacent i I don't think it's it's good to be complacent about anything and it's always good to be grateful about what we have at every point in our life so in terms of how you go about investing people tend to talk well they tend to talk about a variety of ways but the main ways seem to either be property or kind of investing in the stock market so i understand you've kind of gone down the yeah, the, the stock so market I should route probably, i should probably yeah say i don't think I, I mentioned before um that when i when i started the investing it was it was it was alongside my work so i was learning about investing and i got to the point where i i did take some time out and do some exams um because i was getting money in from investing which was paying part of my rent and it was paying half my rent actually wow so it was that that was like okay so this will give me the freedom to go and educate myself again so i went and did some exams and and then i started that would put me in a position to be able to invest but i don't think you necessarily need to do that um but yeah go on and ask your if you've got anything specific you want to know about so obviously, I, I appreciate you're not a financial advisor, no, no. 
But are there any sort of books, literature or platforms in particular that you'd recommend for people who are interested sort of in investing yeah, in the I, stock market? I, um, I'd say more books um, um, uh, for the right mindset for FI, I think, first of all, I think uh, there's one we've discussed, which is uh, a book about saving, which is called The Millionaire Next Door. Yeah, it's part which, of our uh, book group. Yeah, we've got a FI book club as well, which you're running, which is great. Um, another one, which is, is the, well, the, the great thing about The Millionaire Next Door is it talks about how people in America, but yeah, I think it applies everywhere, have found ways to become, have, have how they've become millionaires. And I think it's always good to look at the examples of people who've done whatever you want to do. Um, so that's a great one. Another one is The Richest Man in Babylon, which is a book written like a uh, sort of old sort of Greek fable or medieval fable. And it's it's a story that really encompasses a lot of the ideas about saving and investing in such a simple, beautiful way. It's a really easy book. You can probably give it to a, you know someone who's 12 or 13 to read and they'd really understand it. That's really lovely. I think um, in terms of... of, of investing my investing style is value investing which is the same uh, process of investing that a lot of great investors use people like warren buffett um, and so on use value they invest as value investors so if you google value investing benjamin graham who was warren buffett's mentor and sort of the, the grandfather forefather as, as such of value investing um, and of course warren buffett you can look into that he Warren Buffett's got lots of great quotes which are you know really applicable to FI he says things like uh, if you can't find a way to work to if you can't find a way to make money while you sleep then you'll work until you die is a classic FI related uh, uh, quote but he's he's very good in that way that sort of folksy style um, but in terms of books about investing, I'd recommend uh, the in, in the Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham uh, is a good book to read. It's not too numerical, uh, and it makes a lot of sense, and it's not too big a read. Um, the Little Secret for the Small Investor is a book by Joel Greenblatt, who is a, a really really good investor, U.S. investor, and he, spe- he explains investing in indexes and tracker funds, which think a lot of people find is the easiest way to go about investing because it doesn't need any specific knowledge about companies and it doesn't need a lot of research to do and he explains that in a really good way and he also talks about our natural behavioral biases and tendencies to mess up if we try and invest in other ways so it's a really really good book and he's a really great writer so it's a really nice uh, read Um, and another book I uh, actually, in terms of in terms of your your way of thinking, your um, I would say um, thinking fast and slow. Thinking fast and slow. It's a it's a book by uh, Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman, which looks at a lot of our behavioural biases and things that we do that make us irrational. It's quite a dense read, but it's a really really good one. Um, another one is Fooled by Randomness, which is by Nicholas Nassim Taleb. Now, this one uh, puts your ego in place because he talks a lot about how um, a lot of things in our lives are a result of randomness. And that particularly inv- applies to investing. Lots of great investors think they have got some massive 
edge and they've got talent and ability and their results are good for two or three years and then they underperform and they can't work out why and actually a lot of it's down to the random nature of markets and the fact that no one strategy works forever because if a strategy worked forever everyone would start to follow it and then it wouldn't work anymore and that happens in a lot of cases so that's a good one to read and uh, another good one is predictably irrational by dan Ariely, and that's again looks at our biases it's very well written uh, and he's a great writer too uh, in terms of mindset for self-improvement i think which i think is really important i think just generally in life it's important to look at how we can improve ourselves but if you want to increase your income and get the best out of yourself and be a, a, earn a lot of money and if you want if you want to earn a lot of money but earn enough so that you can reach financial independence early i think uh, having that mindset is really important as well so i'd recommend uh, the compound effect by darren hardy which talks about how knowledge compounds so over time small what feel like in insignificant changes in your life can add up to a really big difference over time. And I think that applies to how much time you spend on your side hustle or you know, learning things and maintaining habits regularly and doing things, if you can on a daily basis, uh, they'll really add up to, to massive changes over 10, 15, 20 years. And the same for compounding money, you, you sort of... So what projects are you sort of currently working on, I mean, if any? Uh, so I'm, I'm going to start a blog soon. I'm going to put some of the stuff down, mainly about investing and the mindset of, of becoming financially independent rather than the saving side. But I think a lot of that's been covered. The frugality has been covered, but I think uh, people can hopefully learn a bit from my mindset in terms of my, uh, my investing style and um, how I became financially independent through the mindset of, of those small changes and making, in, making consistent changes over long periods of time so I'm uh, working on that and that should be out soon uh, my blog will be uh, it's called personal finance and that's f-i-r-e-n-a-n-c for finance so uh, part of the fire community I've, I've become officially part, part of it if I start this <laughs> blog but yeah hopefully I can pass that on yeah you may got, become yeah. a fire celebrity yeah I don't <laughs> think so no, I think I think I'd rather be um I do would really would like to start talking to young people about um, financial independence and money, really, in terms of keeping out of debt. I think that's really important. I think we're doing our young people a great disservice by not talk, talking to them about money in school, mm, and about, yeah. about how to manage these things. I mean, I never had any education about managing a household budget, about mortgages, pensions. Um, so this brings me to my final question. Mm -hmm. What's sort of surprised you about achieving financial independence? As in, I suppose what I mean when I say that is, it, was there anything unexpected about it? Or anything that you kind of thought, oh, I didn't, I didn't expect to feel this way, or I didn't think it would be like this way? You know, is there anything that at the beginning of this journey you wouldn't have necessarily envisaged? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have it. Um, thought that it would be as enjoyable as it's been this process of learning and finding out about it was really enjoyable and it wasn't a kind of uh, situation where I was 
constantly thinking about money or side hustles. It was just part of my life that I, I was kind of looking for things that I enjoyed and I was interested in and I was passionate about. And but also thinking about ways to have my time to myself. And it and it and it wasn't. Uh, and that was the surprise, really, that it did. You know, and it, and it over the course of that that process, it made me a better person. I think it made me wiser. It made me more secure it made me feel happier and it helped me simplify my life as well which I for me it's it's much better for me I, I consume less which is better for me it's better for the planet that's it's really for the interesting as in do you think you buy less you yeah yeah I consume I consume less is the way wow. I would put it so so it's it's that feeling of of, of taking stuff in you know, it's like I want this, I want that. It's a really selfish way I think we live in our world, and then, and then we expect we expect so much to have so much. The idea of ownership of so many things, and, and it doesn't mean I live. I don't live in in poverty. I don't live frugally. Really, I, I have everything I want and everything I need. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this interview, then please do subscribe to my channel.